All right, welcome back, everybody. Today, I'm here with Brian Beckstead. Brian, do you want to give yourself a quick little intro? Sure. Um, my name is Brian Beckstead, uh, co-founder of Ultra Footwear, and uh, just an avid outdoorsman, trail runner, fly fisherman, skier. Uh, love being outside. I live in Hebrew, Utah, and um, yeah, just love being outdoors and excited to be on the show today. And just trying to um, survive that extreme winter you guys are having, uh, right? Yeah, I mean the skiing was epic this winter. It really was good, but I it's you know what it's April fourth and it's like please stop snowing. I've got three feet of snow up my in my front yard right now, so ready for some dirt. Yeah, dude, I've been in Silverton like off and on the past month or so working on a project, and it's like there's just mountains and mountains of snow, and I just don't know how you guys handle it. Like I'm over winter and I live in southern Arizona and it's you don't even get snow. <laughs> yeah, you know I think you got to pick a ha- a hobby and just kind of embrace it. You know, like we ski, we're a ski family. You know, I'm, I'm married, got three kids, and so it's like every Saturday we just go to the ski hill. And the kids know, and like middle of March, my kids were like, we don't want to go. And it was just like, yeah, you know what? Neither do I, because it's <laughs> like, it's, we have mounds of snow. So you, you just embrace it. Uh, I can't wait to get up to some of the high peaks here. Uh, you know, I'm training for Wasatch 100 right now. And, um, you know, all the hot yoga I've been doing, I don't know if it's going to get me to the finish line of Wasatch 100. I think I actually need to run some miles. Um, so excited. I'm actually, we got the kids uh, have spring break this week. So uh, later today, we're going to be heading down south and I'll be, getting some miles in the Grand Canyon this weekend. So that should be, that should be nice. Nice, man. That'd be perfect Wasatch training for you. Yeah. I mean, at some point I need to start running, right? So, you know, why not? <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. And I feel like running on snow is drastically different than running on dirt. Yeah. And at some point in time, like the, the snow running, it's just a lot of road running and it's a lot of like just slop and like, I don't know, it's, it's, I'm ready for dirt. Yeah. I honestly can't even imagine. <laughs> but good for skiing though so that's great yeah skiing was great this year yeah and drinking water which we all enjoy we need to yeah it's like we could probably use three or four of these winters to catch up on this 25 year drought we're in so uh it's a good good head start i think we're gonna have some water to drink at least for the next few years (laughs) nice well um we've known each other for freaking forever um i remember running in the first pair of superiors back in the day um when i lived in in utah in the wasatch area and you founded Ultra. So let's talk about the founding of Ultra. Um, yeah. You and how that came about and who you started it with. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I started the brand with Golden Harper and Jeremy Hallett. Um, we, Golden and I worked at Runner's Corner, uh, which is his dad's running store. So if you're ever in Orem, Utah, you, you need some shoes. Uh, it's a great, great store. Uh, and they look at things quite differently, particularly back in the 90s when I started there. I started working there in 1998. And um, you know, one of the cool things that we did, particularly at the time, is we'd go out and watch people run, but it wasn't just about like that pronation and, and all that. It was more full body and about biomechanics. And so I basically became a student of biomechanics and running technique starting in 1998 when I'm 16 years old, you know, running cross country and track and working at the running store. And so uh, Golden was brought up in that environment too. I mean, the store was owned by his dad and uh, we just jumped headfirst into the whole running industry and the running community and just loved it, fell in love with it. So that was high school, right? Uh, you know, when we're in the cross country races, Hawk, the owner of the store and Golden's dad would yell out biomechanic tips rather than just go, go, go. It was like, Hey, lean forward, chest forward, arms back, you know, don't overstride, increase your cadence, just those little touch points. You know, we would finish up almost every single run, uh, in high school with strides barefoot on the grass, you know? And so 
all of a sudden you can you, now that you know you know you know ultra and you know a lot of these things and so you kind of can see where a lot of the ideas of ultra came from as you as you understand that and so we golden and i both ended up in university degrees based around exercise science and started doing research and just one thing led to another and you know we graduated college we were managing runner's corner so i've been doing all the buying and we started just just well we started experimenting on shoes essentially is what happened and that really was where golden one day put a shoe in a micro in a toaster oven excuse me and when you put a shoe in the toaster oven it just kind of heats everything up slowly and once the glue starts to boil you can literally peel your shoe apart i mean you could try this at your house on an old pair of shoes put it 275 degrees wait for the glue to start bubbling and then pull it out before the laces get burnt right and you can literally pull the outsole off you can pull the upper off of the midsole you can play with it. And so Golden kind of initiated that. And basically the goal was is to get the shoes flat. It seems so stupid simple, but at the time in the industry, pretty much every single shoe on the market, the heel was twice as high as the forefoot. It was a 12 to 14 millimeter drop in quite literally every shoe on the market. And so Golden had the idea of just putting in a Spenco foam, uh, a very flat piece of foam, and then glue it back together and it made it flat, right? We basically took out the drop and that's when Golden coined the term zero drop and that kind of stuck. And I started doing it to my shoes and, you know, our friends started doing it. We started doing all this research on it. It just kind of snowballed. It was, it was a really interesting kind of organic thing that happened. And the next thing we know, we're finding that, oh my gosh, people are more stable right? People aren't rolling their ankles on the trail. People aren't overstriding. You know, it helped my hamstring. I had this chronic hamstring on my right, uh, my right side. And I, I just, all of a sudden I was able to get underneath. We started doing video analysis on this where, you know, we'd watch people run in a traditional shoe and then put them in a modified shoe. And all of a sudden that angle of heel strike became far less by changing nothing. Like we didn't know coaching techniques just for these studies that we were doing. And we didn't get any published at the time because we started um, one thing led to another, and all of a sudden we start trying to convince the shoe companies to build a zero drop shoe. And around that time, the Vibram Five Fingers started coming out, and then one thing led to another, and we were like, "Well, no one's listening to us. You know, we don't want a barefoot shoe. We want a zero drop cushion shoe, and we also wanted a foot shaped shoe." And so. I don't know if you've got the video. I've got a couple of these ancient prototypes from back in the day and I'm, I'll hold it up, but you can't quite see it. But we used to, what we ended up doing instead of the toaster oven, we would bandsaw the shoes right up to the forefoot. So we'd bandsaw, oh, let's see, there we go. Bandsaw right up to about there. You'd belt sand that extra foam down and then glue it back together. So instead of using the toaster oven, we're using bandsaws. And I did this for all sorts of shoes. Um, you know, I'm more of a trail runner. So you can see where we would literally just cut and band saw it down. Is and that an old Montreal shoe? Yeah, this is an old Montreal, <laughs> Montreal Maasai. I loved this shoe. This is my shoe for years. And then the other thing that we would do is we'd skip the lacing at the forefoot, trying to get more toe space. Really, we felt that the toes were very, uh, not just important, but almost like if you really want to have strength and health and power, having those toes to be able to spread out, it attenuates shock, it helps bunions, it helps neuromas. It helps all of these things. And so by wide lacing the shoes, we were able to create that splay, particularly when we'd size people up. 
um, you know, full thumb, right? From the end of the toe to the end of the shoe. And then we'd create what we call this um, up the width of the shoe and create more space. And so we did that for quite a while and we started convince the shoe companies, right? We were ordering all these other brands. You know, we were ordering New Balance, Montreal, Brooks, Saucony, Asics. We were the buyers uh, of of some some outdoor and running stores. And so um, we started using that our manager experience and our buying power to leverage the shoe companies to build it. We had meetings at outdoor retailer with shoe designers from multiple brands. We'd just sit, sit down there and we gave them our idea for free. Like we didn't want to start a shoe company. We were like, we work retail. We're diehard runners. We want to help our consumers. And the research that we've done is this is like game changing um, in terms of biomechanics, in terms of foot strength and toe strength and, you know, injury prevention and just long-term healthy running. It, it was, it was a game changer. It was awesome based off of our research. And so the shoe companies, some of them were nice and some of them were actually real total assholes. Um, they, they were, some of them were not nice to us at all. And, um, I, I know which brands those were, and I've always kind of, you know, one of them was like one of my favorite brands and they were like really mean to me and I it really hurt. Right. And so one thing led to another and golden was like, man, you know, like how do we convince the shoe companies? And that's where his cousin, Jeremy Hallett came in and said, well, let's just do it ourselves. And, you know, golden, and I kind of joked about that, but we weren't really serious about starting a shoe company until Jeremy came in. And was like, guys, let's do this. And so one thing led to another. We we found an advanced prototype company up in Portland that could prototype it. And they gave us some quotes and they were super interested in our story. Uh, they were actually came from Adidas and Nike uh, from R&D advanced concepts. So they they had always seen how big companies had ideas and then they would get watered down. And they were like, we want to do it ourselves. We want to kind of be able to experiment with what can happen in the world of footwear. So when they heard our story, they were like, this is exactly why we created our own little prototype company so we could do cool things just like this. And so they got us in touch with a factory and got us some quotes. And all of a sudden now we needed funding. And the three of us, none of us came for money. Like we all, I'm the youngest of nine kids. My dad was a chemical engineering professor. You know, like we didn't have money. Like there was, you know, none of us did. And so that was, that was one of the hardest parts about starting Ultra was trying to get funding. Um, and we were really lucky to get an angel investor really early. Um, and I think it shows the importance of just networking within the community. I was his kid's scoutmaster. I was really into scouts back in the day. So I knew him from scouts. Um, Golden, you know, had, had, had worked with him on some biomechanics. And his name's Joe Morton. He came in and uh, gave us our initial angel investing, which was just life changing. All of a sudden, we got it really early and we were just off to the races. Um, you know, this would have been 2009. And, you know, 2009 was not an easy year to get funding with that post-recession there and the, uh, with the real estate crash and stock market crash and all that. So it was really hard. Uh, so he got us that initial cash and we went off, right, um, and tried to build a company, build the brand. You have to come up with a name. You know, Ultra um, is actually a Latin-based word, Altera, which means to change or to fix. And I think that to us just clicked with the name. We were like, that's what we want to do, right? We want to fix runners. We want to, we want to change an industry. And that was just, the, that was like a really aha moment. It just made sense. And, you know, we needed the next round of funding. We could not find it. We were presenting, we were going all over to angel investors, companies, and 
um luckily it was i was venting to my dad and i said dad you know we need 70 grand like who can i talk to you have any friends you have any neighbors and he came back a week later with a check and said hey you know if you're desperate this is your inheritance and if you don't pay me back you're gonna get nothing when i die and so i was like sure yeah i'll gamble away my inheritance why not and uh that got us six shoes by the way that's what prototypes cost that got us uh three different models that got us the prototypes of um a men's and women's instinct uh lone peak and then the adam which was kind of adam and eve which was our our more of our minimalist style shoe and we got one sample of each so we got six samples uh for six for sixty something thousand dollars that's that's what prototypes molding costs um for per size so it's it's a huge investment to get a shoe company and um yeah. And so that showed up and we start testing it. I ran Wasatch 100, as I mentioned, I got that coming up again this year. Um, but I ran Wasatch 100 in a prototype that I mortgaged my dad's house for. Um, and it was just like, I had the most amazing experience of my life at Wasatch that year. This would have been 2010 where it just, um, it, it was, it, I don't know. It sounds crazy talking about it, but because I'm not particularly religious or anything like that, but it was like the universe, like just told me I had this in mile 97 of Wasatch 100. I had just this experience that like totally took over my entire body, my brain. Like it was like, you know, comparable to some of like the drug experiences I've heard of where it's just like out of body, like this knowledge was like ultra is going to be huge. Like it just happened. And at that time I'd mortgaged my dad's house. I had a newborn baby. I had no income. And I just knew, I, I just knew that we were going to change the world, that we we were just, this was going to work. And it was really cool. So we went off to the races and and finally we were able to get a little bit more funding from a, a company up in Logan, Utah, that was able to come in and basically purchase most of the company and get us that, that infrastructure and the funding to then launch the brand. Uh, and, and we launched the brand in April of 2011 with Chew, uh, the man, uh, Road Chew, the instinct and the intuition. Followed up later that year with the the Lone Peak and um, and then uh, it's just been a crazy twelve years uh, since since that launch and uh, yeah what did I skip like oh what, man yeah, it's really hard to tell like a huge story of founding a company in ten minutes but that's kind of how I that's how I do it but um, it was a wild yeah, experience definitely I and mean, it's been cool like from my side to see how that's changed over time. Cause like, like when I, I don't know, I guess seeing like the initial models actually at um, the running store in Orem and then seeing how they are now, it's like, they're just so different. And this is really fascinating to me um, to see how like the company's changed and grown and evolved over the years, which is definitely normal for a company. And it, it's cool to see the progress there. Um, but before we get like too far ahead though, um, what was like the environment, like the the shoe culture environment, like back twelve years ago when you guys started? Because it's like now I feel like there's a, a huge pro proliferation. Is that the right word? There's a huge amount of brands that are coming out now with like new shoes, like just like these really small like niche brands. Like you got Speedland, you have a Treyu, you have you get on Instagram, and I get like inundated with like new shoe companies. I'm like I've never even heard of these guys before. But like I feel like back when you guys started, it wasn't common to just start a new shoe company. It's like there were the major players like New Balance, Saucony, Nike, obviously, and then like the traditional trail shoes. But then you guys were just like, okay, we're going to start a new shoe company and it's drastically different than anything out there as far as the design goes. So like, what was that like to start a company in like a brand new 
market changing company like in that environment? What was, what was that environment like? Yeah, you know, it was it was exhilarating. Um, it was it was, you know, I mean, we were young, right? I mean, I was we were twenty seven years. I was twenty seven years old. Like, um, it, it was so fun because we could just do whatever we wanted. It was it was a white space for us. And, you know, we looked at the industry and particularly what really fascinated us is, is you're cutting up these shoes, right? We were hacking up all these brands, all these shoes and some of the shoe technologies they had, it was like their technology was literally like this big. It showed like it was this big on the outside of the shoe and underneath the foot, it's like this big. And we were so disappointed and all they were doing were arguing right well my gel is better than your wave and my wave is better than your air and my air is better than your absorb or hydroflow right the engineering of the shoes was identical right they all had the same tapered toe box they all had a 12 to 14 millimeter drop and they were arguing over their cushioned heel technologies and when we came in we said we want to just overhaul the entire thing right we did not want podular technology we wanted it simple we wanted it affordable. We wanted it to flow naturally with your body. And so it was awesome to be able to say, look, every brand is identical. The engineering is the same. Like there, there's no proliferation, right? The couple brands that had tried to come in and do something a little different, like Golight did a shoe for a while, Somnio, they didn't last more than like a year or two. I mean, the, the, the other shoe brands, there were seven brands. There were seven brands in running. Asics dominated. Brooks hadn't kind of fully elevated yet. They were chasing, you know, you had Saucony, you had New Balance, you had Adidas, Nike, and Mizuno. And there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of differentiation between those brands. And so for us to be able to come in and, and just have a whole white space and kind of recreate it was really, really exciting. And we felt true. I, I felt it then, maybe even more than I do now, but I still feel it to this day that we, we were changing the shoe industry. Um, that's something I'm really proud of as much as probably I'm of ultra. I'm really proud of the fact that 12 years after we've launched the average shoe stack height went from 12 and a half millimeters of stack height to like six millimeters of stack height because of us, right? Like we changed the way people look at footwear, the way it's engineered, the way toe boxes are shaped. Um, you know, I think that we did that more than anybody else. I think Hoka's come in at a very different kind of similar white space and been able to come out from a cushion level, right? Which has totally changed the way the industry looks at things. And I think us and Hoka are really good examples of coming in and we were all doing this at the same time. I think Hoka was about a year ahead of us um, in terms of launching and we didn't know what they were doing. We had no idea who Hoka was. Um, I didn't find out really much about Hoka until we went to our first trade show um, in 2010 to show Alter. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, there's another brand that is totally different. They're looking at it from a stack height and an overbuilt flared cushion platform. We're looking at it from, um, you know, the foot, the, the toe box and the drop of the heel standpoint. And they've incorporated some of our ideas. They, we've incorporated some of their ideas. And I think that's, what's been fun. And then at the time, um, well, we're kind of we, just hearing about Hoka a little bit. Um, we're like thinking we're going to change the world. And all of a sudden born to run comes out. Um, and all of a sudden this minimalist thing goes, explodes just all, you know, like there were seven brands, that's it. And then all of a sudden we have these ideas, we're working on our company. And the next thing you know, we had, we were selling the Vibram five fingers, but it hadn't gotten big yet. We were selling them as a foot strengthening. Like here's your traditional shoe and on your short runs or maybe post run, 
run the vibrant five fingers to strengthen. We didn't believe it was, you had to go purely one or the other, but we were selling them as foot strengthening tools at runner's corner. And all of a sudden the book comes out and people start running in them full time. And we're like, no, we're like, uh, cause we wanted the benefits of both, right? We love the vibrant five finger philosophy and, but we like traditional cushioning, particularly me and, and golden as, as long distance runners, particularly on the trail, we're like, this just isn't realistic for long distance trail running or just modern surfaces. And so it was a really, we, we were trying to get the funding going, man, like we have the benefits of both. And it took us a while to get that funding. Uh, but it was, it was fun to be able to have that creative white space and just do whatever the hell we wanted. And that's where we came out with, um, with ultra. The heel drop thing is interesting. Like I think it's kind of like a slow change that most people don't even notice how this, the the heel height or the heel drop has changed. Because like thinking about it now, as you mentioned it, I'm like, oh, wow, like most shoes I look at now are like six to eight at most. Yeah. And a lot of yeah. them are four mil. And like back like years ago, like say like the S-Lab Sense, whatever, like the classic Solomon White and uh, red shoe, it had a four mil drop and everyone's like, that's crazy. That's so low. And yeah. now this is kind of like, oh yeah, four mil drop. That's kind of typical. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, we always argue with people, well, not argue, but we always talk to people and say like, well, you went from 12 millimeter to four millimeter drops, pretty simple, you know, going four more mil and getting in a, the same stance that you are naturally when you're born or when you get out of bed every morning, that, that shouldn't be that hard either, you know? And so, uh, it, but it is fun. I think that's something that as much as uh, I mentioned as, as proud as I am of Ultra, I also am really proud of the fact that we have moved the needle of the entire industry substantially to a lower drop, a much more natural stance. And, you know, the long-term benefits, particularly of that over, you know, not just months, um, as we look at it in terms of years and decades of being in a lower drop shoe, I, I think we're going to see a lot of long-term benefits. You know, we can't prove that yet. And those long-term studies are so expensive that it's not worth it for a brand like Ultra or, or another brand to do some of those types of studies. But I think I, I truly believe that the world and runners are going to be healthier uh, because of um, our really simple philosophies. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And it's interesting to see, like, I don't know how, I guess we've already kind of talked a little bit, but like how brands have reacted to to Ultra essentially. And from an outside perspective, it's kind of funny because everyone's like, oh, you're going to break your Achilles and you're going to have all these foot problems and you have to wear padded shoes with like this massive drops and this corrector and that corrector. And it's like, if you take a step back, like, and look at it very objectively, it's like, none of that makes any sense. Cause like, when did Nike make their first shoe with a massive heel drop? It was like the 60s or something. I'm not a, a shoe. Yeah, it was like, it was like 71, man. Yeah. Okay. It so like 70. The like it wasn't even like the 60s shoes were more like ultras in the 60s than they than they than they were 10 years ago right i mean like we basically it it, it it it's not rocket science um you know i'm really not that smart it was just you know golden had that simple idea and i was like this makes so much sense like let's run with this and um it 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 the evid the running store evidence of just simple video analysis that we were doing at the time it was you know, maybe we were already biased, but we were pretty open. We loved the shoe, all these shoe brands. We worshiped these shoe brands that we were selling. And all of a sudden with our research and cutting up the shoes, it was like, we have to do this. Like we are like more ethically obligated to promote this 
the, the, the foot strengthening and the natural positioning and the benefits that we are seeing, like it was, it really was, um, a, a, an awesome experience and, and a time in my life that I don't know if I'll ever get to experience that type of just creative group flow that Jeremy Golden and I were experienced. You know, we would take our days off on Thursdays. And so we would meet every single Thursday in person and we lived kind of a little distance apart from each other, but we would get together every single Thursday and spend all day, all day together. And then we would go and do our assignments and email and, and, you know, gold was doing more of the product. Jeremy was doing a lot of like the marketing and the, uh, the website. I was definitely in charge of like sales, the business end, some budgets. And then also Golden had an injury that he got from snowboarding. And so I was like the test dummy for going out and, Hey, go Brian, go run a 50 miles in this, in this shoe or go, go do Wasatch 100 in our first ever prototype, you know? So it was, it was so exciting. Um, I look back on it so fondly that it just felt like the universe was guiding. I don't, it sounds creepy. It sounds weird. I'm like I said, I'm not a particularly religious person but it, it just felt like we were it was our destiny to do it almost it, it it was weird it was really cool really special special time in my life it is really cool and you can find like like say your calling in life or something yeah still really stoked about. it makes you feel like very fulfilled and you just get stoked to do it even though it's hard like it's not like it's easy necessarily like you put a lot all you guys put a lot on the line to make this happen but to know that you're going to like get something out of it and it's very just fulfilling like that that's really cool yeah, I like calling in life, right? It's just like there was something pulling us to do it. And we worked so hard. I mean, we made so many dumb decisions and sacrifices. And I look back on it like almost like, man, what were you thinking? That was you were stupid. But at the time, like it wasn't it, it was it wasn't even bravery. It was just like we just were addicts. We were maniacs like we were just in, in totally jumped in we were like on a mission to like make this happen at no at all cost no matter what we had to sacrifice no matter how many hours we had to put in no matter what we needed to do we we were it was our calling right we had to do this uh to the market definitely let's talk then about like the biomechanics side of it because it's like i don't know like i guess I came into the running world from like playing soccer in high school. Like I never really ran or anything. And then I started running in college and whatever. Um, and that's about the time that ultra started. Um, and so I was getting into trail running. I was watching a little bit of like road running stuff and you'd see everybody would heel strike like crazy. Like that was such a big thing to see. Like you watch a marathon. It's just like, bam, bam, like just looks really painful. And so I just kind of assumed like that's how you run. And I think my first pair of shoes was like some Mizunos or something. I don't remember what it was, but I'd heel strike like crazy too. And then like, there's probably a lot of factors that went into like me having IT band issues, but like, I think that was part of it. Um, but then I started doing more research and just like looking, like I was pretty into archeology span and still am. And you'd see these like native people go out and run like barefoot or very minimal mm -hmm. shoes. And they're more of like a, a mid to four foot strike. And so this very soft strike. And then like doing research and listening about it. It's like, oh, like, that seems very natural. Like, why, why are we heel striking? That doesn't make any sense. So, from like a biomechanical perspective, like, I don't, I'm trying to figure out what the question is here. Like, I, I got like, you. Yeah. Why, why is it better, I guess, to like midfoot, forefoot strike versus heel strike in a heavily padded or heel dropped shoe? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think that any shoe that's twice as high, you know, in the heel means that it's unbalanced. 
right? It, 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 as you run forward in your gait cycle, that shoe weighs more in the heel, right? So it actually is going to dip from a weight standpoint. And then before it can get underneath your body, that extra stack height, just from an engineering perspective, is going to catch before it can get underneath your body. And so running shoes were literally forcing you, maybe in, maybe not forcing, but at least strongly encouraging you to heel strike. And so by taking out the elevated heel, first of all, the shoe's balanced, it's weight balanced. Second of all, as you're in the gait cycle, you're naturally gonna swing in front of you, right? And before it catches because of that extension, because it's more balanced to begin with, you're able to get more underneath your body. And, you know, one thing that Ultra did is if you take out the A's of Ultra, you get LTR. And when we launched the brand, we launched something called the Learn to Run Initiative. And the goal was, is how many times have people taught you how to run, right? They usually say, here's a pair of shoes, go run and run X amount, right? They never said, this is actually how you run. And yet you as a soccer player, how many times that soccer practiced, were you just playing soccer? Were you actually practicing drills, right? Yeah. You know, like LeBron James still to this day practices his three throws. He doesn't just go and play five on five, right? He actually practices specific aspects of basketball. And that was one of our initial initiatives was to teach people how to run, right? That there is more effective and less effective ways to run. And the traditional way of running is just less effective, right? And we're not saying you have to be a four-foot striker. We're not saying you have to be a mid-foot striker. What we're saying is it's it's best to land under a bent knee, right? And you can do this at your house, right? You can literally just jump and land without bending your knee, right? Don't jump too high. Just land with a straight knee. And you can feel that impact going straight up your body. Now jump as high as you want and land bending your knees, right? Your knees are natural shock absorbers, right? And, and it's actually not causing that impact. When you have that check mark, right? If your leg's here, your heel's here, that goes straight up your leg. And where if you're landing under a bent knee, it's able to absorb through the muscles, right? So it actually strengthens your muscles. It takes impact off of your knees. And all of a sudden it sets you up as a spring. So you compress impact wise. And then it everything, every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So you're actually able to get a lot of power from that. And if you watch the elite runners, go watch any elite road marathon. The, the level of hill striking is so much less than, say, a mid-pack 5K runner or a marathon runner. They, they, they might land slightly on the hill. But they're landing under a bent knee. They're landing under their center of gravity. And they're able to use that force to then propel forward. It's far more efficient way of running. And so that's something that we've always looked at with ultra, I think. You know, there's a lot of different running technique clinics out there, and it is a little harder to learn. So we don't do it quite as much nowadays as we did in the early days. Um, but that was kind of a way to help separate what Ultra was, what we did, how we did it differently, and how it could help your health is by just teaching people simple, simple ways on how to run. The easiest way to do it, the easiest way is 180 cadence. If you can get between 170 and 180 steps per minute, and just think nice, short, light, and quick, nice, short, light, and quick, you can't extend out. You don't have time to do that. And also keep in mind when you're extending forward and you have a heel strike, it's actually stopping you, right? And you then have to pull forward, causing IT band, hamstring problems, and so forth. And so these were some of the, the, the motivational purposes, the reasons why Ultra wanted to exist, right, is 
better biomechanics. And let's teach people not just that the shoe is going to do that naturally. Where's some been some good double blind studies out there through universities that indicate that in a cushioned zero drop shoe versus a non um, a similar four foot leveled shoe, you're going to actually get the angle of impact is going to be 17% less of a heel strike by changing nothing but ultras, by just going purely to um, uh, an ultra from a traditional shoe. So there's a lot of really cool research out there. There's a lot of cool theories that still are yet to be proven that I think um, have some sway in terms of biomechanics make a difference in your health, right? And shoes affect your biomechanics. And let's let's take the time. You know, it's not that it's sometimes it's not a quick fix. Sometimes it takes a while to transition to a lower cushion shoe and or a zero drop shoe. You know, the more cushion you have, you get a shoe like say the Par Ultra Paradigm or the Ultra Torin. Uh, the shoes, you, there's not a lot of transition time. But if you go to a lower cushion shoe, like a Superior or an Escalante, a lot of people are fill it. And the way they feel is their calves. Because as you land less out in front of you, it's really putting that impact on, a, uh, or putting that the, the tension there on the calf muscle. And the nice thing about the calf muscle is that it can get stronger, right? You're, you're, meniscus and your knees, it, that's really hard to get stronger. Right? Joints don't get stronger over time. They wear down over time. And so muscles can get stronger. And so let's take the pressure off of the joints and let's put it on a muscle. So some people are going to feel some tightness in their calves. That's usually the number one thing when people go to a lower stack height, lower drop shoe is they feel it in their calf. Over anywhere from two to six weeks, pretty much anybody can, can get into a, a cushioned zero drop shoe. And we think your mechanics based on the research are going to be better. And if your mechanics are better, I think long-term health is better and so forth. So that's kind of a lot of the, the theories and the, the, the principles that uh, Ultra launched with about biomechanics. That's funny you mentioned the calf thing because like my first pair of shoes, like a Mizuno Wave Rider, I don't even know what yeah. they were, like some super old shoe now. And I have no clue what the drop was on it. But then around this time, like you were mentioning the whole like push to a, to a natural like zero drop shoe. Um, I bought a pair of the New Balance Minimus, which is mm -hmm. like basically like a, a V from five fingers, like zero padding, there's zero drop yeah. on it. And um, straight out of the box, went out and did a Ragnar with some friends. And um, after that first seven mile run, dude, like my my calves were just like rocks. Like yeah. it's like someone put like a softball in my calves. I'm like, holy cow, like I can't run. But then like after like weeks and months of running like that, it's like, oh yeah, like, they feel fine now, but initially it was just, I, I was an idiot and went in way too fast and could have had some serious issues. Um, I know a lot of not... people did. A lot of, a lot of people did. And that's part of the reason that Ultra doesn't do as many of those super, super low cushion shoes. A, there's a lot of competition there, but B, you know, the real benefit to us is being a balanced shoe, right? Or zero drop, but cushions, right? Our shoes are cushioned, but balanced. And then, of course, the other thing is, is that toe box, letting those toes splay. We're really interested in engaging the big toe. When you lock your big toe out, it actually does naturally what an arch support does uh, <laughs> unnaturally, right? It locks the bones and the joints of the foot. And so for us, engaging the big toe, foot shape isn't just shock attenuation. It's not just comfort. It actually is arch support. Right. That big toe being able to push out locks the joints of the foot, especially that navicular joint, and it brings that arch up and strengthens it, puts it in a strength position. Where if you disengage that big toe, it unlocks the bones of the foot and you actually are going to pronate or have issues there. And so we don't do a lot of those heavy pronation shoes. You know, not only 
12, 13 years ago, not only were shoes a 12 or 14 millimeter drop, um, 70% of the running shoes being sold at running stores in America were pronation or motion control shoes. And nowadays, Ultra and a lot of other brands have found that you don't need to put this dual posting, this big art support in the shoe to make it stable. You can flare the shoe. You can have constant ground contact. Um, and then, of course, engaging that big toe really helps with all of those things. And so that's something that we're really passionate about with at Ultra is being able to have a constant ground to contact. A lot of shoes cut out underneath the arch. Um, we have a little bit of a wider platform. And then, of course, engaging that big toe. So the very the very first shoe we came out with right here is the Instinct, and you can see uh, flat. This was our very 2011, and then again constant ground contact. So it's not it's not cut out this way or not too much this way. So um, that was the very first shoe we launched, and we've stuck to that. And we re realize nowadays that not a lot of people, not everyone has that higher volume foot, and so we have multiple fits. Right, we've got our original fit, which is our most volume. We got our standard fit. That's what most shoes are on. And then recently we launched a, a little bit of a slimmer fit for someone that has a lower volume foot. And that's found in a shoe like the Rivera um, or the Outroad um, for the trail. So it's kind of fun that we've taken that one, these concepts and been able to branch out through different stack heights, more cushion, less cushion, a little bit more support, but again, not through a pronation device like dual like posting. Um, we, we, we've been able to just experiment and, and, and branch out. And I think the industry, we've been industry leaders in that, in these categories, which has been really fun. There are certain things that other brands do. They're really cool too. And, and we've taken some of those ideas as well. I think everyone kind of feeds off each other, but the ultimate goal for, for me, at least particularly is to make people run healthier, make people run happier and have long-term um, success through movement, through hiking, through running, through walking, and just having healthier, uh, a healthier body. Uh, through our natural positioning, foot shape, et cetera. So then I have a question then, like, so speaking of biomechanics, um, anybody can forefoot strike or midfoot strike in any sort of shoe, right? Yeah, of course. So then why would it be beneficial to buy a zero drop shoe when you can just do that and say like you can midfoot strike or forefoot strike in your Nikes or your Solomons or whatever? Yeah, I think... Um... Well, I was going to show you a quick image, but I don't know if it'll show up on the screen, but um, so I'll try to describe it. Uh, you know, when when you put an elevated heel on and think of it maybe in, in more of an extreme situation, like let's say um, someone in stilettos. OK, someone puts on stilettos, right? Yeah, you could still run in stilettos and you but your, your body is going to be tilted, right? Like your foot is at a weird angle and that not just affects your foot, but it affects your entire body. And so, yeah, you can force yourself to run that way. Um, but what does that do to your entire body um, going up, right? From, from that, the angle of the heel up to the knees, up to the lower back and so forth. And so for us, it's just about being in a natural positioning, right? Like wh why fight against a shoe? Why not just get a shoe that 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 encourages that from the get-go? And I think it makes it just easier to do. I think it makes it less, you're having to be less conscious about it. You can just flow naturally through that process of, of, of having better biomechanics. You don't have to worry about, 
oh, I need to do this. I need to work against the shoe. And then when you work against the shoe, it also is triggering different responses and angles going straight up the body. So I think that's kind of why we we believe that, um, you know, when you get out of bed every morning, you're zero drop. That's how you were born. If God or evolution wanted you with an elevated heel, why is the human race zero drop when we're born and when we get out of bed every morning? That totally makes sense. Like, so, yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm a huge like, proponent, I guess, for foot strength. I think it's one of the things that runners, for whatever reason, we just don't think about. Like, mm. everyone will go to the gym and, like, I'm going to lift this. I'm going to do this workout. I'm going to go do my tempo run. And it's like, it's like forgetting about your feet is like forgetting about the tires on your car in a snowstorm. Like, yeah, you can have a really powerful engine, but if your tires suck, um, <laughs> you're in trouble in a lot of situations. Exactly. Yeah. Even if you have like I have four wheel drive and I have this massive truck, it's like if you if your tires are destroyed, like you're not going to grip anything, no matter how much power you you can put out or put down. So like it's just this weird thing, and like I don't know why people don't think about it. And then when you bring up this idea of like oh you need to strengthen your feet, it's like why? It's like why wouldn't you you're gonna sit there and like do curls at the gym for you're gonna do curls at the gym for running but you're not gonna strengthen your feet which is like the main the only spot that impacts the ground while you're running like i don't know it's just interesting to me absolutely yeah i totally agree and i think that there's a balance of all of that right like you know having having a balanced body um helps and not just in terms of like being positioned but also strengthening all parts of it right like part of the reason also that i'm a, a proponent of being naturally aligned and having stronger feet you know starts at the feet and works its way up its up the body is uh, i i was born with severe scoliosis um i wore a full body back brace for 12 years from the time i was years old to the time i was 18 every night i slept in um, a back brace um, and to this day, if you ever look at my spine, it's the classic force gump. It's my mama says my back looks like a question mark. And I do. So for me, as you work your way up the feet, starting with the feet and having strong, stable foundation, um, it works, it can work its way up. And so for me, as it's going to find a weakness, right? Is what I'm trying to say. My weakness is my back, um, with my scoliosis. I still to this day have a big, huge C curve. And it, it causes issues. And so by me working on my feet, working on my biomechanics, I see a significant difference with having a 37 degree curve in my back. You know, maybe it slowed me down in life. Maybe I would have been more competitive runner, but I mean, I've run 10 different hundred mile races all around the world. I've run 70 ultra marathons. Like it doesn't slow me down. And I think I'm able to do a lot of those things because I care about my foot strength, because I care about my biomechanics and, and I work um on that foundationally yeah it's interesting like not to get too far off topic but like how many modern quote-unquote modern solutions we have for things and in reality they're just making us weaker as a species like think about our food and our diets yeah, and yeah this is really fascinating so shoes and clothing could be another example of that but then thinking about that as well like um like i don't know personally so this is i guess a little bit of backstory so like I still run probably like 50% of my runs in ultras, but then I also like to run in Solomon's and like they're drastically different shoes. Like Solomon's are a lot more narrow, although they do have some wider options available now. And all Solomon's have at least like a four to six, if not higher um, heel drop on them. Whereas like ultras, obviously it's like a wider toe box, a zero drop. But like, what are your thoughts about 
kind of switching between shoes like that. Cause I love using the ultras to like keep my feet strong and my, my calves strong. Um, and I usually run in the superior, um, just like shorter mm-hmm. runs for the most part, but then like, I like to race in a Solomon and maybe this is just like my weakness is showing through, but I feel like it kind of gives me a crutch sometimes. So if I get tired or fatigued, I can kind of default back to like maybe a heel strike or something. So like, what are your thoughts about rotating between like say a zero drop shoe and then like racing something like a four mil drop? Yeah. You know, um, I, I look at it from a similar, but maybe a little bit different experience. And that's, you know, from a cushion experience, right? Like I feel like, you know, you probably run in the, the, you know, lower amount of cushion is going to have a little bit more foot strain. Um, and so ideally, you know, yeah, it'd be great to run in lower cushion shoes all the time, but guess what? We have a shoe called the Olympus and it's 33 millimeters of stack height, you know, and when I'm running whilst that's 100, I run in the lone peak, you know, for like the first half. And then, yeah, I go to more cushion, even though, you know, so is it a crotch? Is it like, well, why, what, what's the purism? And it's, I think what it is, is everyone gets to choose what they have. And that's, what's so awesome about the proliferation of footwear today compared to say 10 or 15 years ago you have options right and every person is different and if you want a little bit more cushion or if you want less cushion if you want a little bit of heel if you want a more forefoot it's great it's not just about oh my gel is better than your wave and air and hydroflow whatever right it's not just about a, a, a modular cushion technology that differentiates brands it's drops it's forefoot it's flexibility you we have more options today in running footwear than you would have dreamed about or even thought possible 20 years ago. And, and that's fine, right? I mean, I am a big fan of having different shoes for different situations. That's even within Ultra itself, right? Um, you now have options. And if you like, you know, Hoka's or in this situation and Solomon's in that situations and Ultra's or Zero's in certain situations, Zero shoes, um, which is the more on that minimalist side, then, then you have those and you can leverage that, right? It's just like diet, right? It's like, yeah, um, I know that you and Mike do a little bit more of some of that, you know, the, the higher fat diets. And that's awesome because you can bring in strategic carbs. You can bring in all these things and footwear is the same, all right? You can, we have options today. They're just unbelievable in terms of the quality of footwear that is on the market now versus 15 years ago. It's, it's, it's almost, it's crazy to think about having been in the industry since 1998 myself to see what has happened in the footwear industry. And I think it's awesome. We have options. And in certain situations, you can use one shoe. In certain situations, you can another shoe, use another shoe. And and it's awesome. So I, I think it's great. I think it's fun. I think that it's awesome to be part of an industry that has evolved technologically with more options. And I think they'll far healthier uh, footwear now than 10 or 15 years. And I'm proud to be, you know, a part of that. So. No, it is really cool. And like, it's interesting. Like, like I was, when I went to the gym yesterday, I was just looking at people's shoes. Like, I don't know why I always look at what people are wearing as far as their shoes go. Me too. <laughs> yeah. It makes more sense for you, I guess. Like whatever, but like, it's interesting, like just how many brands of, of shoes are out there and the different styles, like, especially just like gym specifically, not even thinking about running. It's like, you'll go to see like Noble is some, I don't even know what they're, I guess they're just a weightlifting brand or like Mm -hmm. something like that. But then you see guys like in just full on military boots, people in hiking boots, people in like Keds or Vans. Converse, you know, it's. Yeah, tons of Converse. And um, and personally, my favorite are the Vivo barefoot shoes because like, they're essentially a zero drop, but they don't look weird like Vibram Five Fingers do. 
in my opinion. I know that's subjective, <laughs> but I like it because like it helps me like when I'm lifting and just walking around to like help build that foot strength and to like for the proprioception or whatever to like feel things that are on the ground. But then like on the other hand though, like I ran a, a local 50K last December and I distinctly remember this guy like tiptoeing through the entire race wearing um, those same shoes that I wear in the gym. And I was like, oh, that looks miserable. Like you're running this rocky, pokey Arizona trail in the most minimal shoe possible. Like you might as well be out there barefoot. And like, needless to say, like, I, I have no idea what his time was, but like, I probably finished the race like multiple hours faster than he did. And I didn't even run a very strong race. So it's like, I guess it's like you're saying, like there's, it's it's good there's variety and there's specific shoes for specific situations. Like, like I probably wouldn't run a marathon in the Olympus, but I'd probably run a like a hundred miler in the Olympus or something, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, some people like the challenge, you know, of uh, hey, I'm gonna really see how strong I can get my feet, and I'm gonna test those limits. Okay, you know, like, um, you know, the big thing now is the carbon fiber plates on road shoes, and they're like 35, 40 millimeters of stack height in these. Elite marathon road racing shoes with a carbon fiber plate, and they're kind of breaking records and people the efficiencies and so forth that come from that. And it's just the engineering behind shoes is awesome, and you can leverage the differences in stack heights or cushioning or drops. Um, I don't, you know, I'm not the biggest drop fan out there, but I like uh, the less the better for me. But that's just everyone's different, and I think that, like I said, you have choices now that we never would have dreamed of having. Um, you know, 15 years ago. Yeah. Let's talk more about like, about having a wide toe box. Cause mm. like I mentioned, you've mentioned this already kind of already, but like, obviously all ultra shoes are pretty wide in the toe box and some of the benefits of that, but even like, like Hoka now makes a wide version of a lot of their shoes. Solomon, like I was saying, makes a wide version. I think it's the ultra glide or something that has a wide version. I'm not sure if other models do. So it seems like a lot of manufacturers are kind of looking at this as like, cause like Solomon historically was like, these really, yes. really, really yeah. narrow shoes, like hard to put on, but like, and then your feet are just like smashed in there. And like, I remember looking at all their branding from years ago. It's like whoever, like Ryan Sands would go finish a hundred and his feet would just be destroyed. It's like, oh, I love my Solomons. But like every toe is taped up, his feet are jacked up. And I always thought that's just a weird thing to like promote. It's like, oh man, our shoes are so good. They're going to destroy your toes. Like that just sounds like a, like bad marketing in my opinion. But then you look at guys like I saw this on Rogan probably a year or two ago, but like they're looking at people's feet from the jungle and how oh, their, yeah. their toes and their feet look a lot like hands because they're never wearing shoes. So like they've never had their feet stuck in these really narrow artificial toe boxes. So like, can you talk a little bit about that? Like the importance of having the wide toe box and how it can change your feet over time to more of how our feet should be. Yeah, um, it's it's one of my favorite things. I actually, one of my latest little side projects is I go fly fishing down in the jungles of the Amazon jungle up in uh, Colombia. And, you know, we go out and you're out in the middle of nowhere and the population is an indigenous population. They're, they speak Sequani and they're, you know, that's they speak Spanish as kind of their second language. Uh, and I don't speak much Spanish, but like, you get to know them and, and, and they go around, their feet are like, unbelievable like they're not just like the wide they're actually like strong everywhere and they go on the rocks and trees branches barefoot they don't even they don't even look and, and their posture is awesome because they're having to fill it out and their feet are so strong um another little side with that is people in populations where um 
that barefoot is very normal, whether it's like Polynesia, whether it's jungles or Thailand, places like that, the, the, they don't even have podiatrists and they don't even talk about foot pain. Um, it's the, 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 ratio of foot pain is very like modern first world problem because of these shoes that we put jam in our feet from childhood, Thailand, right? They go barefoot or flip-flops everywhere. Right. And running in Thailand is booming right now. Like it's, it's become a fairly, fairly big business. And, and, uh, 20 years ago, there's only a couple of running stores. And now in the last 10 years, there's a couple hundred running stores that have all opened up in the last 10 years. So the ties come into these running stores and their feet are like, Foof, like this, just widespread toes out there. And they go and try on all these shoes and you know what they buy? They buy ultras. We are the number one brand, not even close in Thailand. And they like the lower cushion because their feet are strong. They're used to it. And um, it's, it's just awesome to see that because what, what you find is, is like I mentioned earlier, if you have a bunion, right? Bunions are a first world problem, right? People in these community, indigenous communities, barefoot communities, places where they don't wear a lot of, of shoes, they don't have bunions, right? That they Bunions are caused from shoes. So like neuromas, right? The nerve damage in between the toes from all your toes jamming up. Um, sesamoiditis, right? Those sesamoids that are up on the metatarsals, metatarsalgia, all of these forefoot maladies are, are first world problems. Um, they don't have these issues in these other communities where, and even modern communities like Hawaii and places like that, the, like the, the ratio of these is so low because their toes can splay. And so that's what Alter is really trying to do is say, hey, yes, we know we're in a modern society. We're running modern distances on modern surfaces, concrete, asphalt, 100 miles through the mountains and trails as fast as you can. There's some level that, you know, being barefoot, it's just like you said, that one guy, you finished hours ahead of him. Um, and he's himself, right? For him, that's a challenge to do a barefoot and good for him for doing that. But how do we find a middle ground? And I think that's what Alter's really tried to do is you have a lot of these barefoot indigenous communities, but they were raised like that from a chill child. My children, we didn't buy shoes till they were over two years old. You know, they were moccasins and my kids' feet are really healthy because of that. And I would encourage other people out there with children. It starts in the youth. It's not just, oh, when you're a runner, you need to do it when you're running. These, this is a lifestyle that, that can really benefit you and your children by embracing that. Um, keep get buy flexible lightweight shoes for your children buy shoes that allow the toes to splay and they're out there they're harder to find it's just like nutrition it's really hard to eat um, in today's culture but you can do it and it's worth the effort and I feel very similar to that about shoes and footwear um, you know I think ultra is making a lot of that more um, uh, easier to transition to, particularly in your old age, like you're, Hey, I'm 30 years old. I've been wearing modern footwear for 30 years. You can't just jump in and go barefoot, right? How do you do this realistically? And that's where Alter comes in. We have the higher cushion. We have, um, some of those more protective shoes, but they're still flat. They align you. They still have that toe box that allows you to display. And we think the health benefits, particularly long-term are important and powerful, um, to your, your health and longevity and quality of life. No, I, I totally agree. It's interesting, like, just thinking about, like, uh, the parallels between, like, diet and then, like, just foot strength. It's just, like all this, like, natural stuff as humans that we we think we're smarter than Mother Nature and try to change it over the years, which is just yep. pretty silly. But it, it's funny how, like, a lot of these, like, native indigenous tribes that don't wear shoes, like, they don't even have a word for bunions. Like, what yeah. even is that? They have no clue yeah. what it is. And same thing with, like, modern, like, quote-unquote Western diseases. 
these chronic things that we have, they're like, they don't know what diabetes is because nobody has it. Nobody yeah. even really has tooth decay if they're eating yeah. their normal diet because they're not eating like sugar-laden crap. All well, the they don't have to have their, um, what's it called, taken out, their wisdom teeth taken out because yeah. their mouths are bigger because they nurse longer and they breathe healthier and they mm -hmm. chew their food longer. They don't eat the processed foods that we do, which basically shrink your teeth, right? It's like all yeah. of these modern injuries that are coming just, they're all related. And I think ultra slides into that from a footwear perspective. I would hundred percent agree. And just thinking back to like, I mentioned this a lot on the show, but I had a pretty gnarly Achilles injury for a while where I almost had surgery on it. And like, at first when like it happened, people were like, okay, like don't wear sandals, get a big drop, like a shoe with a huge drop. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to get a huge drop. I'm going to add inserts to my shoes. And like, yeah, that like kind of stunted the, the issue for a few, few months, maybe, but then it got worse and worse and worse. Then I was like, look, this is all retarded or sorry, I can't say that, I guess. This is all stupid. I'm going to like think about it on my own from a like, practical perspective. So like I started walking barefoot more. I stopped running completely for a few months, started walking barefoot, working on foot strength. And then once I started running again, like granted, I took a lot of time off, but like my feet were stronger. My Achilles was stronger. Everything was just stronger. And now I very rarely have any sort of pain or discomfort in my Achilles. And like now I walk, I wear Luna's probably 90% of the time when I'm not running because they're just a sandal. They allow my feet to spread out and they're a neutral shoe. If you want to call them a shoe, pretty minimal. And like my foot strength has gotten like way better from that. So like, I guess all I am, all, what I'm getting at is I'm just like kind of validating what you're saying. Like the importance of wearing a, like a natural shoe or no shoes at all is really, really beneficial to runners and just your overall health. Yeah. And, you know, people are like, oh, I, I have an Achilles issue. I can't wear ultras. And I'm going like, no, you go to a physical therapist, right? Most physical therapists today, they've learned this, right, through a lot of research. If you are rehabilitating um, an Achilles, do you know what they have you do? They go on a stairway. They say go on the edge of the stairs and go eccentric loading where you're going fully super negative. Your body's up here and you're going a negative, negative drop right? And you do those and then you do the lifts on that, right? You're that, that drop, right? Negative drop to positive drop and back and forth actually strengthens your Achilles. So once the tear is healed up when you're rehabilitating it. And so again, if it's torn and it's a problem, probably don't want to be doing that. But as you're strengthening that over time, your Achilles, they're having you do negative drop exercises. So why would a zero drop shoe change an Achilles problem? In fact, it's actually going to help elongate and help strengthen that Achilles when used properly in, in, in a transitional time of phase, a, a transitional phase. And then once you get stronger through that, you can wear it all the time. It actually is helpful if used in moderation with the zero drop shoe on Achilles problems. And so, um, you know, it's just funny how it all goes and people have their perspectives and it's been fun to, kind of help a paradigm shift. You know, we named the shoe the paradigm just because it's kind of this different way of looking at it. Ultra, you know, it obviously means to change or to fix, but we also kind of realize it stands for being alternative, right? It started by us being altering shoes. Like we have a lot of fun play on words, right? You take out the A's, you get learn to run uh, LTR clinics that we we used to run. And so it's it's been a really exciting 12, 13 years. I'm really proud of what we've created and, and the difference that we've made, not just from people wearing ultras, but also getting the whole industry, like I've mentioned, to pivot our way. And um, it's um, it's pretty awesome. And I think people need to take the time 
um, not just through ultras, but through other mechanisms, exercises, even other brands to, to, to take their health, their feet uh, seriously and to help strengthen, to help their biomechanics. I, I think people are going to run better. They're going to run healthier. They're going to run happier. And I think that's ultimately my calling in life, right? As much as it is ultra, it's also just helping people run and, and walk and hike and exercise healthier and longer. I mean, our, the mission statement that Ultra has is unleashing human potential by inspiring the world to move naturally. And I think that that's very much mine, like unleashing, like something kind of holding you back, right? And what are we unleashing? We're unleashing your potential and doing doing it how? Well, we're doing it inspiring. We're doing it positive to do what? To move, not just to run, to exercise, to lift weights, to hike, backpack, whatever it is, to move and to move naturally. And I think that's kind of uh, Ultra's, uh, mission statement that we came up with and it's it's really mine as well and i think that's fun for me it's great to be a part of the brand ultra and to be part of the running industry definitely and i know you got to go here in a second but can you give like a maybe a one minute not spiel a one minute um discussion on how to transition from say like a 10 mil drop shoe down to an ultra like, in a safe way or even just yeah. how to like use both interchangeably Sure. I think the, the easiest is start on your short, easy runs, right? If you're say, you know, let's say you're doing 20 miles a week and you do three miles, three times, a three times a week, and then you do a five miler and an eight miler. Well, start, you know, with your couple of three milers. And if your calves and your body are feeling great, then go to do a little bit of a longer run on it. And you're alternating right through your 10 millimeter drop shoe to your, to your ultra. And then over time, listen to your body. And like I said, most people within two to six weeks can go 100% into ultras, right? Now, if you don't want to do that for various reasons, that's great. We have options for it. But I think starting with your short runs, listening mostly to your calves, that's the that's usually going to be the, the, the barometer on, on how that transition process is going, and then slowly build up, right, to your longer runs into ultras. And that's, that's it's really pretty simple. Don't and, and frankly, well, you can even skip the ultra word in there. If you get a brand new pair of shoes, don't do your long run in them that week, right? Like this is not rocket science. This is not like an ultra issue. It's get your brand new shoe, whatever it is, right? Do your first couple short runs in it, make sure it's broken in, and then do your long runs in it. And it's no difference with ultra. And yeah, you kind of have to watch those calves if you've never done a lot of that uh, lower drop, more barefoot style, and or um you know, just that different style of shoe, just any type of difference. Take your time, transition, listen to your body and uh, be careful about what you do. And I think you can be healthier and happier and transition quite easily. Cool. Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, is there anything you want to say before we uh, sign off? No, man. Thanks for having me on. It's good chat. Like, like you mentioned, we've known each other for over 10 years now and in multiple capacities. Um, and it's just awesome to um, listen to the, the podcast that you've been doing, the information you've been providing has been awesome and super support it. And thanks for uh, having the show. Yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. And definitely enjoy your spring break down the Grand Canyon. I'm sure uh, you'll enjoy some dirt. So excited. <laughs> All right, man. We'll have a good one and um, have a safe drive. Okay. We'll do. Cheers. Thanks, man. We'll see you.